Good morning, and welcome to Calvary this morning. It is good to see so many of you today. We are glad that you are here. My name is Emily, and I'm one of the ministers here on staff at Calvary. If you are new to Calvary, we want you to know that you are welcome here. We are glad that you're here today. You will need a worship folder and a hymnal, which can be found in the pew in front of you. We would also love the opportunity to follow up with you after worship and to get to know you better. So if you would fill out one of these welcome cards, which can be found in the pew in front of you, we would love that opportunity. This morning we come to worship, bringing our entire beings, our heads, our hands, and our hearts into God's presence, knowing that God is also present with us in this place. Let's remember God's great love for us today.
Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you thanking you for this opportunity we have of gathering like this in one accord as it is, Lord, to worship you, to praise you, to listen to you speak to us. I pray now that as, as we go throughout this day, this month, that you would give us for our, our community a heart of compassion, Lord, to love your people. Ahead, that we might think, that we might do your will according to the way we understand it. And Lord, hands to reach out, to touch others in need around us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. By faith we see the hand of God In the light of creation's grand design In the lives of those who prove His faithfulness Who walk by faith and not by sight By faith our fathers from the earth with the power of his promise in their hearts of the holy city built by God's own hand, a place where peace and justice reign. We will stand as children of the promise. We will fix our eyes on him, our souls reward. Till the race is finished and the work is done, we'll walk by faith and not by sight. By faith the prophets saw the day when the longed-for Messiah would appear with the power to break the chains of sin and death and rise triumphant from the grave. By faith the church was called to go in the power of the Spirit to the lost, to deliver captives and to preach good news in every corner of the earth. We will stand as children of the promise. We will fix our eyes on Him, our souls reward. Till the race is finished and the work is done, we'll walk by faith and not by sight. By faith this mountain shall be moved, and the power of the gospel shall prevail. For we know in Christ all things are possible. For all who call upon his name, we will stand as children of the promise. We will fix our eyes on him, our souls reward. Till the race is finished and the work is done, we'll walk by faith and not by sight. We will stand as children of the promise. We will fix our eyes on Him, our souls reward. Till the race is finished and the work by faith and not by sight. We'll 
walk by faith and not by sight. A reading from the epistle of J- to James. If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I, by my works, will show you my faith. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you senseless person, that faith apart from works is barren? Was not our ancestor Abraham justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was brought to completion by the works. Thus the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Likewise, was not Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out by another road? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. A reading from the gospel according to Mark. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them, and the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. This is the word of God for the people of God. We bow our hearts, we bend our knees, O Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things, O Lord, we cast down our idols, give us clean hands. It's your face, O God of Jacob, and God let us be a generation that seeks, and seeks your face, O God of Jacob. We bow our hearts, we bend Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things. O Lord, we cast down our idols. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Oh God, let us be a 
generation that seeks, that seeks your face, O God of Jacob. God, let us be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face, O God of Jacob. Loving God, to you all hearts are open, all thoughts are known, and from you no secrets are hid. We come before you to confess our shortcomings, knowing that you grant forgiveness. O oh, Spirit, have mercy on us. We confess our inability to trust in your promise. We have forgotten your words. We have turned aside from your path. Our minds are distracted. O oh, Spirit, center our minds on your presence. We confess our unwillingness to fully embrace your call. We have neglected your work as servants. We have ignored the needs of our neighbors. Our hands are clenched. O oh, Spirit, open our hands with your grace. We have lacked compassion and kindness for all of God's people, wherever and whoever they are. We have forgotten to care for others as if we care for Christ himself. Our hearts are hard. O oh, oh, Spirit, Spirit, give us humble hearts. Let us live and move and have our being in you. Encourage us and change us so that we might answer your call to go out and to be your faithful servants. Strengthen us and empower us so that we may grow in the grace of your assurance and of your unwavering love for us in Christ. Amen. Amen. Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. And, O oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face, O oh God of Jacob. And, O oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face, O oh God of Jacob.
the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, pleasing to you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, my God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, pleasing to you. of my heart be pleasing to you, my God. You're my rock and my redeemer. You're the reason that I sing. I desire to be a blessing. God, be in our heads and in our understanding. God, be in our eyes and in our looking. God, be on our lips and in our speaking. God, be in our hearts and in our thinking. God, be in every part of our lives. Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, earlier this year, the governor of Kentucky called a meeting and invited all of the faith leaders in Louisville to talk about how they could work together to address violence in West Louisville. Now, West Louisville is known across the state for having pretty high crime rates. Just days before the governor called this meeting, a seven-year-old boy named DeConte Hobbs was actually killed in his home in West Louisville when a stray bullet came in through a nearby window while he was sitting at the kitchen table eating his bedtime snack. By 2016, the homicide count in Louisville was higher than it had been in five decades. And on average, one person was being killed every three days. And gun violence was growing at an alarming rate, too. There were 39% more shootings in 2016 than there were in 2015, and over 100% more than there were in 2014. Police said that the key factors in most of these events were drugs, gangs, social media squabbles, and guns in the hands of impulsive teenagers and young adults. Well, I have several close friends who are ministers in Louisville, and they had been meeting together with a group of pastors of different races and denominations over the past year to form this coalition that they called Empower West. And they're doing incredible work 
if you look on their website, it says they are seeking to unleash the educational, economic, and spiritual power of West Louisville residents so that they might maximize their God-given potential and capacity. So most of them were hopeful about the governor's meeting and the possibility for even more people, more ideas, and more resources to help their efforts to empower and strengthen West Louisville. And so all the clergy got together, they had a meeting in a local school, but in the meeting, the governor made it clear that he wasn't proposing a plan that involved spending any money or supporting this underserved area of town with any more resources, much to the disappointment of my friends in Empower West. Instead, he said his proposal was pretty unsophisticated, pretty uncomplicated, and pretty basic. He was asking churches to organize groups of people to go on prayer walks throughout the neighborhoods of West Louisville. He said, I truly believe that we are going to see a difference in our city because I believe in the power of prayer. Well, shortly after this meeting, I, I saw videos begin to pop up on Facebook, and, and there was an interview with Pastor Joe Phelps from Highland Baptist Church, which is a well-known CBF church in Kentucky, asking about his reaction to the meeting. And the headline of the video read, Pastor calls governor's plan to combat violence an embarrassment to Christianity. He and several other pastors from Empower West had left the meeting furious, and they were immediately met by the media outside to hear their reactions. And so in his interview, Pastor Phelps said, of course I believe in the power of prayer. I'm a pastor. Our churches have been meeting together and praying together over a year now with residents of West Louisville. But for someone to reduce the problems of violence to getting people to go pray for a block is an embarrassment to Christianity. Well, Phelps later wrote an editorial that was picked up nationwide. He wrote, the governor's plan to address violence was a low day for Christianity in Kentucky. I'm embarrassed that non-Christians will assume the governor's plan, couched exclusively in Christian jargon, represents our only response to violence. It doesn't. There is power and mystery in prayer, he says, as every clergy person in that meeting would attest. We pray often throughout every day and trust in prayer's power to connect us in ways that will allow harmony and healing to flow. But mature Christianity is formed by prayer in order to advocate for justice for all. We simply cannot just pray for problems and expect them to miraculously disappear. Instead, Christians like Christ embody God's dream. We hear the cries of the poor, and like Moses before Pharaoh, we demand change. Well, as you can imagine, this sparked some pretty heated debate. One side was criticizing Phelps and the other pastors because they didn't seem to believe in the power of prayer to really change things. And it's pretty extreme to call prayer an embarrassment to Christianity. But the other side said trying to pray away the violence is an example of naive Kentucky Fried Christianity. That's what the article said. Now, I've thought about this event in a new way in light of our conversations about engaging with the heart, the head, and the hand. Because the reality is that the governor's response was absolutely a response of the heart. I believe that he genuinely cares about ending gun violence. I believe that he genuinely cares about this community and wants to see transformation happen. He wouldn't have called the meeting if he didn't think that. I also believe that he genuinely believes in the power of prayer. However, the governor's response didn't engage the head much, did it? It didn't appear that he had really thought through the complexity of the problem and the many layers affecting violence in Louisville, including generational poverty, inequity in resources, and systemic racism. I also don't think he had done his homework to know that there were groups of pastors and churches who had already been actively praying in West Louisville 
and the call for churches to begin to do so seemed to them like a slap in the face. But I think the biggest challenge is, is that the governor's solution didn't engage the hand. He didn't offer any tangible resources or suggest any concrete ways to engage the community in reducing violence in West Louisville. He didn't match his heart's passion and conviction with action that engaging our hands necessitates. For the past two weeks, we have been in this new series here at Calvary on engaging with God with our whole selves. And so the first week we talked about the heart, how some of us engage with God with hearts that are burning within us, like the disciples walking along the road to Emmaus. And then last week we acknowledged that some of us engage with God with our heads, and that God does this work of transformation in us through the renewing of our minds, as we read in Romans. And this week, we move to the hand. Like the heart and the hand, I think we could go around this room and share story after story about the ways in which we engage with God through our hands in our everyday lives and here at Calvary. For instance, I saw the hand at Calvary at work in beautiful ways on Tuesday night as so many of us gathered at the Good Neighbor House to help with Halloween on Colcord. I saw it in Audrey Johnson's hospitality in welcoming people into her home just a block away, and Sarah Becker's creativity in coordinating all of our games. I saw it in Eric and Clara Holliman's hard work setting up tables and chairs in the rain. And I saw it in Matt Roski's kindness in hosting the Duck Pond game all night long. But are there other ways in which we as Calvary may not be engaging with our hands to our fullest God-given potential, especially here in our own Sanger Heights neighborhood? As the book of James reminds us in chapter 2, starting in verse 14, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace and keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, or I would add, if it has no hands, is dead. Interestingly enough, one of the pastors who was interviewed after the meeting quoted this passage in response to the governor's meeting. Now, now I think it's especially interesting to read this particular passage after the 500th anniversary of the Reformation this week, isn't it? Because Martin Luther was known for his teachings that salvation comes by grace alone and through faith alone. And I think he would quickly remind us of Paul's letters to the Ephesians. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. And it's true, the work of our hands does not save us. But neither do our hearts, neither do our heads, for that matter. You and I are saved by grace through faith. But as we learn in today's text, faith without works and faith without the hands is dead. And actually, Martin Luther taught that, too. In his introduction to Romans, Luther writes, It is a living, creative, active, and powerful thing, this faith. Faith cannot help doing good works constantly. It doesn't stop to ask if good works ought to be done, but before anyone asks, it already has done them and continues to do them without ceasing. Friends, our faith cannot be fully contained within the emotions of our hearts or the thoughts of our heads. It must be lived out, as Luther writes. And really, this is quite biblical. John's Gospel teaches us that the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. God didn't just remain this entity that we could only conceive with our minds and our hearts. God became someone that we could literally physically touch. Our God became flesh. So too is our faith 
to become flesh. So too are you and I called to embody our faith with our hands in our world and our everyday lives. My mom had this magnet on our refrigerator when I was growing up. And it's funny because I don't remember having a single conversation about the magnet, but it just stuck with me and I will always remember what it said. It said, people may doubt what you say, but they will always believe what you do. People may doubt what you say, but they will always believe what you do. And it's true, isn't it? We show what we value most in our lives, not always by what we say, but in ways that are both conscious and subconscious by what we do. For instance, um, we've probably all had the person to whom we run into them and we always say, oh my goodness, we should really go to lunch sometime soon. And then we see them again and we're like, oh my goodness, we should really go to lunch sometime soon. But then we don't always follow through, do we? Something always tends to come up. And the truth is we can say we're busy all that we want. But the reality is that most of us make time for the people who are most important to us, don't we? It's evident in what we do and how we spend our time and who we prioritize in our schedules. Or you could say the same about the way we spend our money. We could say that, oh, I really need to be saving some more money. Or I really want to start giving financially to the church or to a nonprofit or an important cause. Or we could say that we really want to start buying fair trade goods or purchase food that has been ethically grown or raised. But we don't always do it, do we? And we could say that, well, we just don't have enough money to do that right now. But the reality is that most of the time, we find money or we set priorities in our budgets for the things that are the most important to us. Because it's evident in what we do and how we spend our money if we look back at our bank statements from the past month. I mean, I bet all of us could fill in the blanks of statements like, I've always wanted to do blank, or I've always really wished I could blank, but I just can't. I I don't have the resources. Gosh, I don't have the time. I don't have the space in my life right now. But the majority of the time, maybe not all the time, The reality is that if we really want to do something, or if we really think it's important, we're going to find a way to do it. What we think and what we care about is so very evident in what we do. And so that's why our hearts and our heads are equally important in all of this, because they inform, they inspire the work we do with our hands. And oftentimes, in order to make a significant change in our lives, It means going back and doing the internal work required in order for us to do something externally that is different. So perhaps an important question for us to ask ourselves this morning is this. What is something that we sense God could be calling us or inviting us to do that we just can't find the time, the space, the money, or the way to make it happen? And if that's the case, what might need to change in our lives in order for that to become a reality? Or perhaps we can think about it more communally. What is something that God could be calling and inviting Calvary to do that we're not doing right now? And what needs to change within us in order for us to embody God's dream here at 18th and Bosky? Of course, the the person who perfectly embodied what he believed and how he loved through how he lived was Jesus. In our text for today, Jesus does something powerful with his hands that beautifully embodies what he believes with his mind and his heart. In Mark 10, we find Jesus teaching crowds of people, and people start to bring their children to Jesus. And what's interesting is that just verses earlier, Jesus has already been teaching them about the significance of welcoming children. In Mark 9, verse 37, he takes a child into his arms and says, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. But the disciples just don't get it. 
So just verses later, there they are actually trying to keep children away from Jesus instead of bringing them to Jesus. Verse 13 actually says the disciples rebuke the children just as an exorcist would rebuke a demon. But Jesus immediately puts a stop to it. He says, let the children come to me. Do not stop them because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And then he takes the children into his arms. He lays his hands on them and he blesses them. Jesus stops teaching about the kingdom of heaven so that he can live into the reality of the kingdom of heaven. Because people may doubt what you say, but they will always believe what you do. In his book, Life of the Beloved, Henry Nouwen shares this beautiful story about a time when he was serving at a home called Daybreak, which was a residential community for people who are mentally and physically challenged. And he writes, shortly before I started a prayer service in one of our houses, Janet, a member of our community who was handicapped, said to me, Henry, can you give me a blessing? And I responded in a somewhat automatic way by tracing with my thumb the sign of the cross on her forehead. But instead of being grateful, she protested vehemently. No, that does not work. She said, I want a real blessing. I suddenly became aware of the ritualistic quality of my response to her request. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. Let me give you a real blessing when we are all together in the prayer service. I realized that something special was required of me, but I didn't know what Janet really wanted. But thankfully, she didn't leave me in doubt for very long. As soon as I had said, Janet has asked me for a special blessing, she stood up and walked toward me. And spontaneously, Janet put her arms around me, and she put her head against my chest. Without thinking, I covered her with the sleeves of my robe so that she almost vanished in its folds. As we held each other, I said, Janet, I want you to know that you are God's beloved daughter. You are precious in God's eyes. Your beautiful smile, your kindness, and all the good things that you do for the people in our house show what a beautiful person you are. And I know you're feeling a little low these days, and there is some sadness in you. But I want you to remember who you are a very special person, deeply loved by God. And he says, as I said these words, Janet raised her head and looked at me, and with her broad smile showed that she had really heard and received this blessing. But when she returned to her place, Jane, another woman, raised her hand and said, hey, I want a blessing too. And after I had spoken words of blessing to her, many more hands began to pop up, expressing that same desire to be blessed. But the most touching moment, he says, came when one of the assistants, a 24-year-old student, raised his hand and said, what about me? And as I spoke words of blessing to him, he looked at me with tears in his eyes and said, thank you. Thank you very much. Now one goes on to say that to give someone a blessing is the most significant affirmation we can offer. It's more than a word of praise or appreciation. It's more than pointing out someone's talents or good deeds. It's more than putting someone in the light. To give someone a blessing is to say yes to a person's belovedness. And more than that, to give a blessing creates the reality of which it speaks. You see, the prayers of our hearts and our heads don't have to be separate from our hands, do they? Our prayers offered to God can and do change things, especially when you and I are willing to help create the reality of which our prayers speak. During the civil rights era, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel was one of the clergy who participated in Dr. King's march from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama. And when Rabbi Heschel returned home from Selma, he was asked by someone, did you find much time to pray when you were marching in Selma? And Rabbi Heschel responded, oh, that's easy. 
I prayed with my feet. And so Calvary, may you and I be people who are known by praying with our feet, with our hands, with our resources, with our time, with our gifts and talents, with our creativity. May we be known as people who pray our faith by living our faith with our whole entire lives. And so God, I ask that you would help us to be people who love you with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, and with our strength and our hands and our lives. God, put on our hearts today that that situation that we might feel called to be doing or working on or participating in or giving to, and we just haven't. And help us to dig a little more deeply and to ask ourselves why. And then to ask ourselves, what needs to change about my life in order for me to live this out? To be the person that you're calling me to be and to do the things that you're calling me to do to live my faith out loud. God, give us that not only individually, but but also communally as Calvary, as the family of God in this place. What are you calling us to do that we're not doing? And how are you calling us to respond to your radical love by living out your radical love? God, I pray that these questions might challenge us, might make us a little uncomfortable, that they would challenge us to living out our faith and living out your kingdom so that it might come on earth as it is in heaven. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Well, during this series, we have been responding a little differently after each sermon. And there is always an invitation to come to the back and to visit with one of our ministers. And perhaps for you, today is the day that that you want to begin that journey of following Jesus with your feet and with your hands and with your life. And you want to make that official. We would love nothing more than to talk with you about that. Maybe you are ready to make Calvary your community of faith. We would love to welcome you into our church family today. However, God is inviting you to respond. You are welcome to come to the back during the song of response. But there will also be another opportunity to respond during the Lord's Supper today. So in addition to receiving the Lord's Supper, we will also have two stations in the back of the sanctuary, one on each side, where you can give and you can receive a blessing from someone today. You can come before communion, you can come after communion, whenever you feel led, if you feel led. Simply walk to the station and allow the person standing there to lay a hand on your shoulder and to offer a blessing over you this morning. And then you will wait at the station and then do the same for the next person who comes up and offer a blessing for him or her. This is simple, but it is a tangible way that we can engage our hands in worship today, that we can encourage, empower, and bless one another. And so however God leads you to respond, whether that's during worship or after worship, may we do so with our hands, and may we do so with our whole lives. Take my 
At this table, we are reminded of the ways Jesus welcomed and blessed people. Through his actions, he showed love and care to the people of the world. At this table, we are also reminded of God's call on our lives, one in which we are to follow Christ and live in the way Jesus did out in the world. As we share in the Lord's Supper today, may we be inspired anew to go out and live as servants of God, following Christ's example and actively using our entire beings to bless, heal, and love others. May this meal be a sending meal, a recommissioning for us to go out in service to others and to the world. We will be coming to different stations around the sanctuary for the Lord's Supper. There are three stations at front, a gluten-free station in the back. You are invited to come to the station nearest you. Please exit your pew on the right and return on the left. If you'd like to receive the Lord's Supper in your seat, please raise your hand and a deacon will come to you. Children who have not yet made a profession of faith are invited to come to the front to receive a blessing. And as Mary Alice already mentioned, there's also an opportunity for all to both give and receive a blessing in the back of the sanctuary during this time. On the night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested, he took bread and he broke it. And he gave thanks for it, saying, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, Jesus took the cup and he gave it to the disciples, saying, This is the cup of the New Testament poured out for you for the forgiveness of sin. Drink as often as you do this. Do this to remember me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we proclaim the saving death of the risen Lord until he comes again. So come to the table, for it is Christ who invites us to meet him here. Just a few closing words. First, we have another way that you can respond with your hand today, and that is by giving to our Samaritan's Fund offering. We take it up every three weeks, and it goes toward emergent needs, not only in our congregation, but our surrounding our community. And there are always more needs than we are able to help. And so your generous giving really does make a difference. Also, if you are new to Calvary, whether you're new in the past few months or today is your very first day, we would love to invite you to have lunch with us. Our deacons are hosting a lunch downstairs. Just join us downstairs. We would love to greet you, to learn your face. There's not a program or an agenda. It's really just a time of fellowship, and we welcome you to join us for that. Lastly, we have two really special guests with us today. Um, I was in the Welcome Center this morning, and Vincent Asamoah walked in. Vincent, when you wave, wave your hand, I know lots of people, people are jumping up and down to see you. <laughs> uh, if you don't know Vincent, he and his family were here when he was a student at Truett. And then he returned to Ghana and was working with FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and had an incredible basketball ministry. And as of last week, it was just announced that he is going to be the head of FCA for all of Africa, which is incredible. <laughs> Vincent, we celebrate you. You have blessed us with your presence today, and we are excited to visit with you. In fact, if you would follow me out after the benediction, I would love for people to get to greet you in the Welcome Center. And another special guest we have today is Ken Massey. Ken, if you would come up, you may not know that Ken was pastor of Calvary from 1990 to 1997. Did I get those years right? Um, we are so glad to have you back as well, and I know lots of people are excited to see you. Ken now serves in interim pastoring and is at churches all over the Greensboro, North Carolina area, and was in town for a Baylor Chamber reunion. Um, 
and he and I had coffee on Friday, and I just really enjoy getting to know you and hearing your stories from Calvary and where we've been and where we're going, and it's all very exciting to me. So I have asked Ken if you would lead us in our benediction today. I didn't tell her anything about any of you that I know. (laughs) It's all good. It's all good. Uh, I was here last for the 85th anniversary celebration a few years ago. And she asked, when she, Mary Alice asked me to do the blessing, I said, that's easy. Because when you've been blessed, you can bless. And being at Calvary is like backing up to a warm fire on a cold, snowy night. And there is still a wonderful, blessed spirit in this place that I feel every time I walk in. So thank you for letting me be here. You know, Mary Alice, I I have to respond a little to your sermon because uh, never give a pastor a microphone. (laughs) That's not it, but no. No, I, you know, I've, I never, have never known whether prayer changes things or not, but I do know that prayer changes me. And if you will let prayer change you, then God can use you to change the world. So go from this place as blessed and beloved children of God to change your world. Amen.